0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. I'd like to draw to your attention this morning the pie fight and the art of the pie fight. A pie fight is not an easy thing. Uh, there's several things you have to have to pull off a good pie fight. First, you're going to need a lot of pies, Right. The most pies, like think about it, the most pies I've ever been around is probably three pies right? Like just in a normal, like, and that's a bigger party. Like, oh, we got three pies for a bunch of people. That's not going to be a long pie fight, right? So to have a pie fight, you have to have a lot of pies, right? And then you have to have like, not just any kind of pie, you need the right pie, right? There's a reason why you don't see pumpkin pies in a pie fight, right? I uh, have studied pie fights a bunch. I'd like to share with you a little bit of my research. Um, I'm going to show you a chart here of the most commonly used pies in a pie fight. Let's see our chart, maybe. Can we, there we go. And yes, it is a pie fight pie pie chart. As you can see, the most popular pie on the pie chart is the cream pie because these like will sail easily, they splash well, great ammo in a pie fight. So you have to have plenty of pies. You have to have the right kind of pies, but then you have to have the right kind of people, right? First, you need people that have a motive. So something has to happen to trigger the pie fight. Somebody's gotta be angry and angry enough to take action. And then it also helps if you have people with very good aim because you need the pies to land, but then also you want people with very bad aim, right? Like we saw in the clip in front of us because it doesn't just like start, like if you're angry and you hit somebody in the face with a pie, like they're like, okay, I deserved it. It's over or they retaliate and then you both have pie in your face and it's over, but a pie fight just ends that way. That's not a good pie fight, right? Like we need a lot of different mix. We need people missing pies. We need all of these things to happen. Here's what I'm trying to say is that a pie fight is an incredible thing. There's an art to it. It is almost a miracle. And uh, that's my TED Talk on pie fights. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk today. Now, the reason I talk about pie fights is because this morning's text that we're going to be looking at in the Bible, I think is the closest the Bible gets to to a pie fight, and I love it. It is a story, it's the story about Jehoshaphat, who is one of the kings in the Old Testament. And if you've been with us, I know some of you are reading through the Bible this year using the Bible recap. Our Tuesday night through the Bible into your small group is using the Bible recap. If you've been doing that, we're in this section of Kings and Chronicles where we're talking about the kings. And we talked about, or we read about this week, King Jehoshaphat and what he does and the stories of him. And then also in our verses series today, the song that I wanna look at is based off of a text from the story story of Jehoshaphat. And it ends with what I think is the closest we get to a pie fight. So we'll get there. Okay, just buckle up. Hold on. We'll get to that part. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about King Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a king during the time when Israel was divided. So we have two nations. This is well after David. We have the northern nation that just keeps the name Israel. And then the southern kingdom, which became known as Judah. But the southern kingdom, though smaller, kept the capital city of Jerusalem. And so there would be two different kings at this point. And King Jehoshaphat was leader of the southern nation of Judah. Judah. But then the northern kingdom to kind of put this in time for you was ruled at different times, like by a guy named Ahab. And so King Ahab, who was an evil king, would have been a contemporary with Jehoshaphat. And you might remember King Ahab because he had a run in with the prophet Elijah. So that's happening in the northern kingdom. But meanwhile, we've got a guy named Jehoshaphat who is ruler over the southern kingdom. And here's what 1 Kings 22, 22, 42 tells us about Jehoshaphat says he was 35 years old when he began to reign, which is younger than our youngest president has been. And he reigned for 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of of Shilhai. Azuba, I think, is a great name. I just want to pause again. I always feel like we need to pause on the great Bible names. If there's any parents expecting right now, looking for good names, Azuba. I think it'd be a beautiful name for a little girl. Sounds like a tropical island, right? Azuba, Jamaica, ooh, That's where we're at this morning. That's what you're going to get today. So we have Jehoshaphat. The Bible tells us Jehoshaphat was a good king mostly. He did a lot of good things, but he sort of had a bad habit of becoming, of forming alliances with other kings of nations that didn't worship God. And so if there's a place where Jehoshaphat would have kind of an asterisk next to his name, like he's a good king, except he kept trying to make alliances with kings that didn't worship God. And, And God sort of, you know, chastised him for that. But we're told that mostly he was a good king. 2 Chronicles 17, 6 says, His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places of the Asherim out of Judah. So Judah was in the habit of worshiping other gods. They had these false idols, the Asherah, probably Asherah poles, in these places in their kingdom. And Jehoshaphat got rid of that because he was trying to bring the nation back to God. 2 Chronicles 17, 7 through 9 tells us that Jehoshaphat sent out government officials and priests, and Levites into the country to teach the masses the word of God so that people could know God's word. So the ruler wants the people to be in tune with God. And so for the most part, Jehoshaphat was a great king, especially in comparison to the northern kingdom and what they've got with Ahab, and especially in comparison to the kings that were before Jehoshaphat and after Jehoshaphat in the southern kingdom. We see Jehoshaphat, who is a man of faith, a man of God, and then in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, he meets a crisis. And so we get, this story this morning, we get a picture of how a person in faith should face a crisis, how a man of God should tackle a crisis. And so let's see what happens. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. We're gonna be in chapter 20 for most of the morning. And it says, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them some of the Maonites." came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, therein in Hazazan Tamar. That is in Gedi. You guys know, like if you thought it was, another it was in Gedi, if you're confused. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Now, here's how I imagine this. We don't get a ton of details, but I imagine it's a normal day, right? Jehoshaphat is going about like his king stuff, whatever kings do. But then runners come in because this is how news traveled back then. They didn't have, you know, TV. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have a telegraph. So they had people that would run and get messages. And so this runner arrives to Jehoshaphat, maybe more than one, and he's probably, (sighs) like, out of breath. And Jehoshaphat would know, like, he's like, all right, get him the bottle of water. Like, get this guy. He's got a message. And the guy's like, (sighs) Armies And is like, okay, an army is coming. The guy's like, no, 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 three armies. And he tells them that three of Israel's enemies, three kind of tribal nation kingdoms have joined together and made their way around the Dead Sea to come to Jerusalem. And he says, and they're already at En Gedi, which is within the borders of Judah. So there are three enemy nations that have joined together to come against the nation of Judah, and they're already within the borders. They're probably like a day's journey. Who knows how long it would take for an army, but about a day or so outside of the capital city where the king is. And this is the message that he gets from these runners. This is the crisis that he faces. Jehoshaphat's life is in danger. His kingdom is in danger. The people he is responsible for are in danger. And everyone is looking to him. And so we get... Verse three, and I love that the Bible points this out. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Now, you've probably never been the king of a nation, right? Like if you were, I think most of us would know it by now, right? You've probably not ruled a nation. You've probably not been in a situation where you've had an enemy army coming against you or you found out that there's an enemy army that has come into your borders, let alone one, but three. You've probably never been in that situation. You've probably never had a whole nation of people looking to you to say, what do we do? Are we gonna be safe? How are we gonna get through this? You probably haven't been in that situation, but I would guess that you have been in a situation where you've been afraid. Maybe you don't relate to the particular scenario that Jehoshaphat's in, but I bet you relate to that first part of verse three that says Jehoshaphat was afraid. And all the studies that we see coming out right now back me up on this, right? Because we have seen a rise in anxiety in our nation, in our world, particularly among our young people. If there's one thing the youth pastor community is talking about is what do we do about the rise of anxiety that we've seen in our teenagers? It's a big shift that I've seen in youth ministry in my time as a youth pastor. It is a new thing. It used to be like kind of rare you talk to somebody about this, but now it's almost the exception when you meet a student who isn't saying that they're struggling with anxiety. And these are our teenagers. You probably resonate with it as an adult too. We live in what feels like a time of fear, uh, of where anxiety is on the rise. We live in a time where it feels like there's something new to be afraid of every day. Maybe you don't understand that personal battle of anxiety. Maybe you've never dealt with that and you don't realize what that can feel like. That alone can feel like just an army has, has torn down your borders and is coming to take you. And maybe you don't understand those feelings, but maybe you understand the feeling of fear that comes when you lose somebody when you've lost someone that you love and and you have to now face the next day without that person. And there's questions of, can I get through that day? Can I get through life without this person? There's a new fear when you lose somebody, especially if you lose them suddenly and unexpectedly. You begin to think like, well, who else could I lose in the same way? Maybe the way you lost that person, you're like, well, I don't wanna do that thing or have any of my family doing that thing again. There's a real fear that can come in with that. Maybe you've had a change in your job or a loss in your job, and now you're thinking, man, I've got people looking to me. My family is looking to me. I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. I don't know if this means we have to move, find new schools, sell our house. There's a fear that comes with things like this. It can be a major life change. It could be finding out there's a a diagnosis. It can be a, a meeting with a doctor. It can be any sort of news that causes anxiety and unrest in our lives. We understand fear. There's those real fears, those legitimate fears. But then today, I think we live in an age, and and you guys can decide if you agree with me or not. You can disagree. I think we live in an age of a lot of fabricated fear, And here's what I mean by that. I was with my mom a few weekends ago. I was at her house. She was having a surgery, and I was kind of helping her out. And I was checking her mail. She got one of these, like, political mailers that's like a giant postcard, you know. And it said on there, I'm, like, looking at it kind of laughing, like, aha. But at the bottom, it said seniors, Talk about senior citizens, seniors should be scared if so-and-so is elected or isn't elected, or I don't even remember what it was about. And at first, I just thought it was kind of funny. But then I realized, like, they've probably, you know, no offense to my mom. She'll watch this later. They've probably targeted her with that ad. And they're like, let's send this out to the people that we think are in a particular age range. And the, the phrase was, seniors should be scared. And then I got real defensive. Like, why are they trying to scare my mom? Like, why did they send this to my mom's house to try and get her riled up? We live in a time of fabricated fear. People wanna make us afraid of things so that they can manipulate that and use us to vote for their candidate or to buy their product or to do something else. And so we have all of the real fears that we face, but then we've got a whole mass of people that are just trying to make us be scared about things. We live in a time of fear. We can relate to Jehoshaphat as he is afraid. And we have plenty to be afraid of. If you think of it today, like if we had runners today like Jehoshaphat had, it would be like every hour on the clock, wouldn't it? Like that's almost like what the talking heads on the news do now. Like you just be like, ah, ah. and you're like, what is it? What do what I got? Ah, ah. Monkey pox. Oh. Right? And then that one's done and they come, ah, ah. gas prices. Oh no. Like, ah, ah, ah recession. And you're just runner after runner all day, every day. There's all of these things that we're told that we need to be afraid of on top of other things in our lives that may already be causing us fear. But remember, in our story, we get to see a man of God, a man of faith face fear. So let's see what Jehoshaphat does when he is afraid. 2 Chronicles 23 says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. And set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. If you've studied fear responses, you know there's typically three that they highlight there's fight, there's flight, and there's freeze. When you meet a crisis, are you gonna meet it head on? Are you gonna fight against it? Or are you gonna run from it? Or are you just gonna freeze? Jehoshaphat doesn't take any of these approaches. He doesn't fight. He doesn't immediately say, okay, situation room now, like get me the secretary of war, like gather in, like get the chariots ready. He is not fighting. But then he also doesn't say, okay, everybody, we gotta get out, like we need an evacuation. Everybody knows what to do, follow the evacuation route. He doesn't fly. And he also didn't say, I don't know, what to do. he doesn't freeze. That's not what Jehoshaphat does. He doesn't fight, he doesn't flight, he doesn't freeze. Instead, he meets it with faith. Jehoshaphat responds to fear with faith. He reacts to crazy news in a faithful manner. And it says that he proclaims a fast throughout all of Judah. This is what we, as people of faith, should also do. When we get fearful news, when there is something that makes us afraid, we don't fight, we don't fly, we don't freeze, we respond in faith. So we have faith in our God. And so we don't panic. We don't run headfirst into it. We don't just avoid it. Instead, we go to the Lord with our fear. And that's what Jehoshaphat does. Verse four, it says, And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And this is rich. We know that this doesn't just happen, right? This happened at the call of their leader, of Jehoshaphat. But if these were people that had been worshiping other gods, they wouldn't all gather together, would they? They'd go to their individual gods. But Jehoshaphat had done the background work that needed to be done to lead them properly. He got rid of the things in between them and God so that then they could be united together. And so the whole nation comes together. And then Jehoshaphat prays. He goes in the temple And he prays, and he prays this beautiful prayer. If you have time this week, read verses 4 through 12 of this chapter. There's sort of three things Jehoshaphat does in this prayer. First, he declares God's power. Then he reminds God, which is a funny thing, right, because we know God doesn't forget. But he reminds God of his promise to Judah, saying, hey, you promised us this land. And then last of all, he gives God his problem. I mean, that right there, like if I had two weeks to do this chapter, that'd be a whole sermon. But he reminds God or he declares God's power. He reminds God of his promise. And then he gives God his problem. And then he ends it in this way right here. And this, if you tune out of everything else, get this part right here. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. He ends his prayer by saying, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This, that line right there, I mean, memorize that, write it down. That is a prayer for all occasions. You lose your job, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. You have that that news back from the doctor, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. For our students trying to figure out life after high school, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. When that person who you love betrays you, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. It is a prayer for every fear. It is a prayer for every situation. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should fight. I don't know if I should fly. I feel frozen. I don't know what to do, so I'm going to have faith. My eyes are on you. This verse right here is Philippians 4, 6, way in the New Testament. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's New Testament faith and it's Old Testament faith. It's Psalm 55, 22, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. And so Jehoshaphat goes in the temple of God and he prays this. Meanwhile, the whole country has gathered outside of the temple and they are praying together. In verse 13, it says, all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. And I love that it points out who is in the crowd, because I think this could just be great parenting advice for those of us that have kids. There's a part of me that wants to hide our family's problems from our children, right? because they have plenty of things that are gonna be scary to them and they're not gonna understand all of our problems. And so I don't wanna give them more problems to worry about, right? But then they don't ever see me and my wife fighting our battles or how we approach our battles. And so there might be a situation where we've been praying and we've been approaching God in faith and then that prayer is answered. But if we haven't shared it with our children, they also don't get to celebrate with us because we have robbed them of fighting that battle with us. And so I love here that we have an example of families that have come together in honesty seeking God and saying, hey, this is the problem our family has. Here's how we're gonna handle it. We are gonna pray with each other. I remember, and I've talked about this a little bit, when I lost my hearing, I went partially deaf over the winter. And I remember like when the doctors told me this, we have our littlest or our middle daughter, Everly, she gets real like emotional, like she feels other people's pain. I don't know what that is, but she feels it. And so I was particularly worried about Everly when she heard the news that the doctor told me of it may be permanent like hearing loss in this ear. But I remember like as Christy and I were talking, we knew we just had to share this with our kids. And then my own kids started praying for my hearing. And I was so touched by that, that they knew what to do in this time of crisis because we'd been through crisis together before. And we show them as parents that we don't fight, we don't fly, we don't freeze. We have faith. And so I love that it points out that even the little ones are here because they're all in the problem together together. They all have the armies breathing down their necks. They should see how their parents approach this problem. They pray together. Then verse 14, it says, the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, who was a Levite, the son of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, so imagine we've got this whole group of people, huge crowd of people. And then one guy starts yelling, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. He's got everybody's attention. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they'll come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness, and Jerul. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. I love that line of this prophet who is the best research I could do. This is all we really hear about him. He says, don't be afraid. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. What great advice to us when we are facing a battle to know this isn't your battle, the battle belongs to God. The battle belongs to the Lord. And so he says, you don't need to fight, just stand and watch what God is going to do. Stand and see the Lord's salvation. Watch the way that he's gonna save you. And so then we see Judah accept this. I mean, and there's a moment right there where somebody would have to be like, but what now? Like what what does he want us to do? Like there's armies coming, this is our plan, just stand, just watch, like what? And so we get to see, will Jehoshaphat, a man of faith, will he trust in God that way? Like it's been, you know, big talk up to this point, but now he has to act on it, will he? This is what he does in verse 20. It says, they rose early in the morning. So it's the next day, you gotta imagine, maybe a sleepless night for them. They rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to, and we're ready to be like, who were to grab like flaming torches, who were to grab those like things that you swing around your head and throw at people. He he gathered people, but it says, he gathered people who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. As they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. They don't put on their battle armor. They put on their party clothes. He's not finding like warriors and soldiers. He's gathering up singers. He's like, I need the best singer. Like, and if you can dance, let's go. Like, and he's getting them all in front and and they're praising and celebrating. It's not a march to war. It's a parade. And so you can imagine like these families, like all the teenagers have been practicing all the TikTok dances. They're like, this is our moment. We're ready for this. And they go on their way. doesn't look like they're marching to battle. Looks like they're in a parade. They are praising God as if they have already won the battle that they haven't even fought yet. That is the level of faith that Jehoshaphat has and he instills in the people. And so then after we see their response, which let me just say also a little bonus I think this is where the term jumping Jehoshaphat comes from because they're going into war and like he's probably jumping up and down. I don't know for sure. Just think that is probably there. So then we see their response. They trust in God. Now we see God's action. Second Chronicles 20, verse 22. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. Not Je- Jehoshaphat, not his warriors, not his people. The Lord set an ambush On the three armies that had come against them, so that they were routed. They were turned away. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Do you guys see where we're at? It's a pie fight, right? Like we've got Moab who like trips over himself probably, but he thinks that Amon like pushed him. And so he turns to go shove Amon. He shoves him back into Mount Seir and then Mount Seir falls over and gets up to go punch Amon. But he ducks and he lands one on Moab. Now they're all fighting only, it's like not just the three stooges, it's the three stooges with swords, right? So these three armies that had teamed up to be against Jerusalem, They are now fighting each other and slaughtering each other. And so just a huge fight breaks out right in the the city walls or in the country walls. And, And we see that, yes, the battle belonged to the Lord. Judah didn't have to lift a sword. And so they're making their way. I kind of imagine they get to the crest of a hill or like the top of a mountain to see where this battlefield will be. And they've been praising and singing, and they're wondering, like, what, what's going to be over there? Like, it might be our deaths. It, it could be that God has delivered us. We might have to really fight. But then it says, verse 24: when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. When they were three days in taking the spoil, then they were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. They didn't have to show up for a battle I mean, they showed up for like a yard sale, right? Like a free yard sale. And they're just going through like plucking stuff. Like, I like this guy's armor. Three days, they're just gathering spoil until they have more than they can carry. This is what a battle is like with God. They didn't have to lift a sword. They had to lift the spoils because they trusted in God, because they faced their fears with faith, because they knew that the battle belonged to the Lord. They didn't know what to do. So they put their eyes on God, and God delivered them. Now, we can look at this and say, all right, but again, what does it have to do with me? This Old Testament story long ago, like that's a cute Bible school story. What's it got to do with me? Because again, I'm not facing armies. I'm facing other fears, right? I'm not the king of a nation. Well, I hope you see the New Testament correlation to this Old Testament story, I hope you haven't missed that you're not living this, you've already lived this. Because we have an enemy, right? The Bible tells us it's not an enemy of flesh and blood, it is the enemy of Satan, the spiritual forces of evil that have come against God and his people. That is our enemy. Our enemy is sin, our enemy is death and the grave. You want something to be afraid of, something to keep you up at night? Let's talk about hell. That is our enemy. And that is the enemy that we face daily, temptation, sin, and the threat of death. But the Bible tells us that our battle has already been fought, that our enemy has already been defeated. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you were born, Jesus had fought and defeated your enemy of sin and death. Before you could lift a finger or a sword or even know that you needed to be afraid, Jesus had already fought and won against your enemy. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our biggest enemy is Satan and sin and death, and Jesus wiped it out. And we didn't do a thing about it. We didn't have to show up to fight. We didn't have to put on armor. We didn't have to behave well. We didn't have to go over the rules. We didn't have to memorize the Bible verses. We didn't have to do any of that. Jesus did it for us. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. Our sin equals death. Our actions equal penalty, but the free gift, not something we bought, not something we earned, something that is given to us, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The story of Jehoshaphat is our story because the biggest battle we face has already been fought and won. So we don't need armor, we need party clothes, right? We don't need to set up as soldiers getting ready to fight. We need to be singers praising our God. We need to meet our fears with faith and know that when we don't know what to do, our eyes are on God because he's given us promises. He has fought battles for us before so we know that we can trust in him now in the future. So three days, Josaphat's just gathering in the spoils, Do you see that correlation for us as well? We get the rewards of our Savior who defeated our enemy. We get the spoils of war, which is eternal life. When we turn over our sins and our life to Jesus, we get life with him forever because the grave and death has been defeated. And again, we didn't fight the battle, but we get all of the rewards, all the gifts, all the spoils of the battle that our Savior fought for us. So then what is there really? to be afraid of when our biggest battle of death has been fought and won. So then we get back to our story, okay? So imagine this scene, right? Like other nations, other people, probably the Northern Kingdom of Israel has seen like what's going on in Judah. And they're like, they may not be coming back from this one. Like maybe we need to get ready for our borders. Like, or maybe we move in over theirs. Like there's, these armies are gonna take them down. But then here comes Jehoshaphat back with an armful of treasure and spoils of war. And verse 28 says, "'They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord, to the temple. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around.'" When you approach fear with faith, people will notice. When you face your battles on your knees, people will notice. When you don't know what to do, but your eyes are on God, people will notice. Not that you're brave, but that you're a believer. Not that you're immune to fear and anxiety, but that you have a God who is bigger than fear and anxiety because he has delivered you once, you know he will do it again. So this morning, I don't know what your battle is. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your family's going through. I don't know what your week looks like. I don't know the fears that have crept into you this week. But I do know your God. And I do know that he has fought for you before and he will fight for you again. And so no matter how big our battle is, no, it is not bigger than our God. And it is definitely not bigger than the battles he has already fought and won for us. And so today, I hope that instead of marching out to war, and today, instead of being people that are just like, ready to face our fears and ready to fight at every turn, instead, we're not marching out as soldiers, we're marching out as singers. And we're praising our God in the midst of our fears. In a world that is afraid of everything, we can be people that stand out knowing that I've got a God who's delivered me before and he'll do it again. And I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on him. And so this morning, we're gonna conclude this time of teaching with the song, Battle Belongs, which comes from this prayer that Jehoshaphat prayed. So I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. And we're gonna sing this tomorrow. Instead of being soldiers, let's be singers.